Alrighty. Well, Selamat pagi. Good morning. I was just sitting there and I wasn't planning to share this, so I'm just going to take a minute just to express some gratefulness and gratitude for you folks as a church. Some of you would know this, most of you probably don't, but my dad was in the Air Force where I was born in Halifax and became very good friends with the Navy officer. Dad was an Air Force officer. And that was Art Bell. Art Bell started a Bible study in his house in the mid-60s here in Charlottetown. And that Bible study led into what this church. It grew and became too big for a Bible study, became this church. Anyways, so my parents were part of that. And every chance they had, they were part of that Bible study. Dad was a new believer. Art Bell had a big impact on him. And then finally the day came that the Lord changed the course of my parents' life from the Air Force they got challenged into missions. They ended up in Indonesia, supported by this church. You guys were a big part of sending them. So all my life, I remember coming back here every furlough, being a part of Grace Baptist Church. I remember when I was serving as a pastor in New Jersey. My dad was coming here. This would have been about 93. Dad said, Tim, you should come up and join me. So guess what I did? I got to speak. I remember sitting, I was probably 21, 22, and doing a little missions. I dressed up like a tribal man and shot a blowgun and threw a spear and did a thing with the uh, kids here. That was in the early 90s. And then, I don't know, I came back. We, my wife and I were on the mission field for 12 years, and then we came back in 2010. And about 2012 or 13, I think Jeff was here. I don't remember, it was, maybe it was 2014. But we came and I was speaking at a pastor's forum here at this church. So I always had that connection. So the only person I really knew when I came to this island that I knew I knew was Jeff Eastwood. And so the connection goes back. But anyways, all that to say, you folks sent my parents. They spent 32 years on the mission field. You supported them every day they were on the field. I'm as fat as I am because of you guys. But my parents served in the Laoje tribe for 30 years, a tribe that had never been contacted, a tribe that had no idea, never heard the name of Jesus. My parents were sent there by you. They served there, and today there's a very large church of many thousand people in the Laoje tribe, and they're reaching Muslims along the coast often. You folks planted a church on the other side of the world. Uh, well, the name wouldn't even make sense to you. It's an Indonesian name, but it's... Um, it's it, the Laoje Church, if you can remember that. Laoje simply means no. So it's the no church, put simply. You could pray for the no church that you planted. Laoje or Laojo. If you say Laojo, that's an emphasized no. Laoje is just no. Anyways, that's where I grew up, and thank you. And I just want to encourage you with the work. Which someday we're going to look at a verse at the very end, but you're going to be in heaven, and you're going to meet people that you were part of sending them the gospel. Pretty cool, I think, really. <clears throat> well, all that to say, let's get started. I want to commend Pastor Jeff. You are a courageous pastor. I was just at a conference yesterday with NCEM, and he took on a session, Romans chapter 14, amongst missionaries, took more courage, and I think he had no idea what a brave step that was. But well done. But the whole, you guys are spending this time going through the book of Leviticus. Very few pastors have the courage to do that. And I've been listening to quite a few of the sermons online, knowing I was going to be speaking. I want to know what's going on and what's being said. But I have to say, I really appreciate the heart and the courage it takes to go through Leviticus as a church in North America when our attention spans are so short. But not only that, next year, I hope this isn't opening a secret, but next year as he studies through with you the book of Hebrews, how could you look at Hebrews without an understanding of Leviticus? 
So I, I just think that's brilliant. Praise the Lord for that. We're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter, six, or chapter 23, verses 9 to 14. But just chapter 23 of Leviticus is quite an amazing book or chapter. We have the, the, the laws, the Pentateuch, the five books that are Genesis is full of incredible stories. But then you get into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and then people just get lost. But here we have one chapter that just very briefly and clearly defines the six, pre, the six feasts and the Sabbath that God lays out for the children of Israel. And it's a beautiful synopsis. I listened to Jeff two weeks ago online and um, appreciated that. There's a few things I wanted to say this morning. I thought, I don't know how Jeff, Jeff said it. But Sabbath... Looking at the Sabbath, you can't look at Sabbath without understanding God's appreciation for rest. Why would an all-powerful, all-able, never-ending energy God so put so much emphasis on rest? And yet rest becomes a theme in Scripture, as Pastor Jeff has laid out. Jeff also said it, and I was hoping he would, and he certainly emphasized it beautifully. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Another point that Jeff made that was really good is the Sabbath was meant to do in community, not alone. It's, uh, we, we worship in community. And then last week, Pastor Luke shared. Again, I don't know where Luke is sitting, somewhere in here, but very, very good. And again, Luke emphasized that the, the Passover was not an optional feast, as was Sabbath. It was an appointed feast, and it was a feast that was a reminder to Israel of their rescue from Egypt. But then he goes on to show that a theme of scripture is our rescue. For us, it's not Egypt, it's from our sin. And communion, in a sense, is our Passover celebration now, which ironically we are doing today. Communion is, or the Passover is our celebration of rescue. Scripture is full of the story of rescue. And then now we have communion. We don't have a whole pile of feasts, but we have this, we have baptism, the sacraments, the, um, the God's reminder to us to remember what he has done for us. And so great job, Luke, on that. And so this week we're going to be taking some time to just stop and going through the Feast of First Fruits. Most of us aren't farmers. We're like, well, how does that apply to me? Well, I hope by the end of looking at the First Fruits, you can say, yeah, that definitely applies to me today. So let's just stop and commit our time to the Lord. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your grace in our lives, your, your patience, your ongoing walking with us. We fail, we fall, and yet you pick us up. You've rescued us, Father. We want to thank you for that. Lord, we fail so often taking time to rest. We fail in understanding that you are the God of rest. You are a God who rescues. And today as we open up another feast, Lord, I pray you just give us a, a thrill again, deepen our understanding of another theme that is so classically and strongly emphasized all through scripture. Lord, we give our time to you and ask you to be glorified in it. Pray you'd thrill us, Father, with your heart, your passion, and may we be challenged in our growth for you. In your name we pray, amen. Let's read together Leviticus chapter 23. I'm gonna start in chapter one and read the whole book. I'm kidding, I'm glad I am. We're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 to 14. And I'm just going to read through it first. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of firstfruits of your harvest to the priest. 
and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheep, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until the same day, until you've brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Now, I'm going to give, share a confession with you. As I was preparing for this, I feel like I had to read it about a hundred times to get my mind about what is being said. I read it in many different translations. That often helps. But we read this. This is something that's so out of our normal thinking. And statements like ephahs and hens, well, we all know what that means, right? I've tried breaking this down a little bit, and in our notes you'll see a little more what we would call these measurements today, and I hope that will help. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this feast, but I would like to break it down just so you can wrap your mind a little bit of what God was telling Israel they had to do every single year. This wasn't an optional feast. This was an appointed feast. It's something they had to do. And so for us... We're never commanded to do this feast. But there's a lot of talk about this feast and the concepts of this feast all through the New Testament. So it does very much apply to us. So let's just take some time to understand it. If we look at the, the Feast of First Fruits, first of all, the, um, at harvest time, they were supposed to bring, basically it's either a handful or a bundle of grain. Grab that sheaf, the grain on the end, the stalks, grab about a handful and bring that to the priest. You brought it to the priest and... It doesn't make a big difference to us, but it would have been probably on the Sabbath of the 16th day of Nisan, which excites us, right? You could also say that'd be the 16th day of Abib, probably pronouncing them wrong, but those were the days that made a lot of sense to the Jews, but they were to bring it at harvest time, and they were to bring the sheaf of grain to the priest, and the priest would set it aside until Sabbath, and when the Sabbath came around at the specified Sabbath, he would take that, no, sorry, not on Sabbath, it was the day after Sabbath, which ironically is Sunday, which is when we come now, and it was to bring, this, the sheaf was to be waved before the Lord, and basically it was a statement of thank you. We acknowledge God, you've given us this harvest, and thank you for the harvest. A simple statement, and it was waved before the Lord, and it says specifically that you might be accepted. Well, our first thought is, and honestly, there's a lot of teaching coming out nowadays, which is wrong, in my opinion, blogs and different ideas coming out. We're supposed to be doing these feasts today. No, we're not. Christ is a fulfillment of these, these feasts, but understanding them is important to understand what it means to walk with God today. So the, the priests were to take this here sheaf or this handful of grain and wave it before the Lord so that the people could be accepted. Wow, well, if that's what he takes, and I should get some grain somewhere, and I should start waving because I want to be accepted, right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 makes a very clear statement, and I memorize in the King James, so I'm going to quote it in the King James, but we have been made accepted in the beloved. Ephesians chapter 1 is our position in Christ, who we are, and it makes a very clear statement, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, that we have been made accepted already. We don't need to wave any kind of grain offerings. Israel had to do that. But when Jesus gave his life and he paid his price on the, his, the price of his blood on the cross, that paid it all. You know our call is simply to say, Lord, thank you. 
Accept what he has done. A commitment to him. My life is no longer mine, I'm giving it to you. I will live for you. Will I fail? Absolutely. But because it was his death, which was permanent, I can fail and stand back up by his grace and say thank you again. We have been made accepted. We don't have to do this, but what a statement so that you may be accepted. But going on, the rest of this, it says the day after the feast, feast, when this grain offering is waived, they were to do three different offerings, which is interesting because one of the offerings we're going to look at in a moment is never talked about anywhere else except for this chapter. We'll come to that. First, they were to bring a burnt offering. The burnt offering was to be a male goat or a lamb, male lamb without blemish, one year old. Very specific. They had to bring that, and that was a burnt offering. They also had to bring a grain offering. Now, the grain offering, putting in English terms, it was four quarts of nice, moist flour. Four quarts, specifically, mixed with olive oil. And the Lord says specifically, that is a sweet-smelling aroma to me. So they were to bring a very specific burnt offering, a very specific grain offering, and then thirdly, they were supposed to bring a liquid offering. This, this chapter is the only place we see that term, liquid offering. In fact, it comes up three times in three different feasts, this liquid offering of one quart of wine. One quart of wine brought to the Lord, and it's a statement, and you read the commentaries. I obviously cannot say emphatically, but probably the, the, grain, or the liquid offering of wine was a, thank, a thankful heart, a recognition, acknowledgement of what he's provided in their grape harvest. That would make sense, but probably doesn't make a big difference to us. But let's just say that's an acknowledgement of the grape harvest coming. So there was three offerings, the burnt offering, grain offering, liquid offering, <clears throat> that they were to bring on the day after the Sabbath, which would be Sunday, which ironically for you and I today is the day we come together and do what we're doing right now and acknowledge who he is. In a sense, we're not waving grain bundles, but as God's children that we did grow out of the, the Israel nation, in a sense, Christ and the disciples and the church grew out of Israel, a lot of these concepts are still very prevalent for us today, but it's not a call that we have to do exactly this feast today. Though you will be reading and hearing more and more statements of people starting to push that as a New Testament church believer, we should actually be doing these feasts. It's a growing, it's a growing concept. I'm not going to call it a movement. And then the last statement is very powerful. He says, you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you've brought the offering to your God. They weren't to have a single bite of their entire harvest. They weren't to eat, oh, this looks really good. I'm going to try it. No, they weren't to touch it. Well, they could touch it, sorry. They couldn't eat it until they brought their grain offering, their burnt offering, and their liquid offering to the Lord as a statement of gratitude, a statement of acknowledgement, and thank you, Lord, and then they could eat and enjoy their harvest. hope that makes the feast itself fairly graspable. But what I would like to do for the remainder of our time together is how does this apply to you and I? Right now, 2022, believers worshiping in Grace Baptist Church of Charlottetown, what can we learn from this feast? And actually it has a very powerful, very powerful lesson for us. You know, the book of Esther, most of us love the story of Esther. What a powerful story of God's deliverance. And yet, in the entire book of Esther, there's no mention of God. 
You can see God moving. It's obviously God. It's just God is so involved, but there's no mention of God at all. It's the only book in the Bible that way. Well, in this feast, did you guys notice there's no mention of the word thanksgiving? But the statement of acknowledgement and thanksgiving to God is a theme you cannot miss. And thanksgiving, believe it or not, is a theme all through scripture. If we had time, it'd be fun just to take some time in the Old Testament. The Psalms is full of statements of thanksgiving. But, so that we're out of here before supper, I'm gonna take, we're gonna skip to the New Testament. <clears throat> but I also wanted to say this. This feast was instituted for the Jews. Have you ever read the story of the escape from Egypt and going through the wilderness in 40 years? Do you ever see how many times, you can't help but notice it, they murmured, they murmured, and they murmured. God would provide a way out. They would be delivered, and the next day they would murmur again. Murmuring and complaining was a classic characteristic of the Jews. And I would love to stand up here and say, those silly people, are any of you G Jews here? You silly people. The thing is, I'm exactly the same. I can't stand here and say, you silly people. I have to say, us, silly people. We are all so prone to first reaction is complain, to murmur. Why is it this way? It shouldn't be this way. It's got to be better. What is wrong? What did they do? Whose fault is this? This is our tendency as human beings. We see it in the Jews, but we're no different. You know, it's interesting. God never instituted a feast of complaints. We have the feast of Thanksgiving. We actually still celebrate, don't we, in October, Thanksgiving. We don't have a day that we celebrate the privilege of complaining. And yet, how many businesses that we talk about anyways, they have the concept of the complaint box. We'd be far better off to have a Thanksgiving box. We have departments in some businesses set up. If you have a complaint, this is who you call. I don't, haven't seen any departments. If you have a thanks, thankful comment, this is who you call. Because human beings, we tend to complain. It's, our, it's, who, it's what makes us the wrong side of us, that God is in the process of changing. <clears throat> I want to share a short story with you. And I'm going to do this cautiously, and please don't take what I'm going to say farther than what I say, okay? I told you earlier, I grew up in Indonesia. I grew up in the Laoji tribe, the church that you folks were part of planning. But when I was there in the tribe, I was in the tribe from age 7 till I was 18, then I came home to go to high or to call it Bible school in Canada. But anyways, while I was there, about the age 15, one day we always had adventures and many, many things happened. I could tell incredible stories all day. But there was one particular day we decided to go on a hike along the mountain range called Lado Lado. Our house was here, and there was a high mountain we could see, and the ridge started way down there by our airstrip, about a half-hour walk, and this mountain ridge, you could see it, and it was the Lado Lado Mountain. We all knew Lado Lado. I'd been up straight up Lado Lado many times. I'd never hiked the whole ridge to the top and then come down. So all of us missionary kids, we had three families serving in there. That would have been about nine of us, no, more than that, 11 of us kids, all decided to go on this hike. So we got our stuff together, our backpacks and some water, and we set off on this hike. Now this is right on the equator. It's hot, and we were, I was the oldest, 15, Many years in the jungle, I knew my way around the jungle. So we took off on this hike. We get up, but we got about three quarters up along that ridge, and my brother Shane, who has a disease called Fabry's, which we didn't know at the time, it hadn't been invented it. Now they've identified the disease. There's about 300 people in Canada with it. Very rare disease. 
and um, he all of a sudden went into heat stroke. Now there's no ambulance, there's no 911, there's no one you call, I'm the oldest one. This is my middle brother, Shane. He would have been probably about 11, 12, my wife's age. And um, all of a sudden he was, oh sorry, you're not 11 or 12. <laughs> he is my wife's age. Wow, communication. That'll get me in a lot of trouble. Okay, let's move on. So I am, um, my, he, he actually collapsed out and he was beat red. And, and my, we had always know it's interesting with Brother Shane. He never, he still hasn't to this day sweat a drop in his life. He can't sweat. So he just overheated and he was dry. He was beat red. And he just passed out. I'm like, what are we? So this is our first time to see this happen. So whatever water we had, we're dumping it on him and we're trying to cool him down. We're trying to save a little bit of water so he had something to drink. But we, we got his temperature down. He came around and we had a little bit of water we were just trying to save to keep him. But there's no way to get home. You have to hike your way home. And there's nowhere to call. Nobody, you're deep in the jungle. So we finished the hike up to the top of that mountain and um, giving Shane sips. He was doing pretty good. And we started the hike down. Now coming down obviously is way easier than going up. So we thought, okay, I think we're going to do this. But it was getting worse and worse. And all of us, and the youngest kid in our group was probably about eight or nine. I don't know. And, um, but everybody's getting thirsty, but nobody had water because we'd poured it all over Shane and the little bit we had were saving for him. So all of us were thirsty. We're coming down, but I was getting nervous as the oldest thinking, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm not sure we're all going to make it. And we're getting more and more concerned. Also, he broke out in the garden and there was a garden with corn. Well, we all know if you're dying of starvation and dehydration, fresh corn is actually a really good idea. So we got some corn. I think we knocked off three or four, and we got, all got a an ear of just raw corn. We are eating the raw corn, and felt a lot better. There were some onions. We picked that, and I think something else we picked that and ate it. We didn't know whose garden it was. Never crossed our mind. You shouldn't just take food from somebody's garden, but we were hungry. We, we, it was really good. It revived us enough. We hiked on home, and everything was good until the next day. And a very, very angry tribal man came to our house, very angry. Now you need to understand about our enemy, Satan. He's a mimicker and a copycat of God. And in the tribe I grew up in, and this is true of many, many, many animistic tribes, so much of their belief system is set up as a mimic of God's way. For example, in the Laoji tribe where I grew up, they, when somebody had done something really wrong, a sacrifice had to be made, but they always did it with two animals. You had to take a chick, two chickens. One, the one chicken was sacrificed. It's always about the blood. The blood had to be offered to the spirits. And, and that chicken, that, that cut chicken and the, and the shed blood was what this one covered this person's sin. But the other chicken, they would let it loose into the jungle. And you know what they called it? Translated into English? The scape chicken. Guess what? That's from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, when they had sin, they were supposed to sacrifice two goats, sacrifice one goat. The blood was a temporary covering for the sin, and the second goat was called a scapegoat in the Bible, and it's let loose into the wilderness, and God's wrath was taken out on that goat, the scapegoat. They had scape chickens. In the Laoji tribe, and most tribes are like this, it's unreal. But the Laoji tribe, when somebody hit puberty, they, they had their whole puberty ceremony and all that, but then they would sacrifice a chicken, and the blood from that chicken was put, guess where? On the forehead and the two cheeks. And guess what they called it? That the spirits would pass over. Isn't that unreal? It's like Satan knows exactly what's in it. And these people had never heard of Christ. This has been their way of doing it for probably hundreds and thousands of years, maybe since Babel. They've deep in the jungle, no outside contact, their own very specific language, 
And yet they have a whole belief system that Satan has taught them that so many ways mimics the Bible. It's unreal. They'd never heard of God. They didn't even know this book existed. Well, anyways, in this particular day with that garden, we had taken the first fruits from a man's harvest. He was not a believer. And guess what we had just done? We had offended his spirit world. He was scared to death now. He would not be accepted by the spirits anymore. We had eaten the first fruit. He came down livid angry, didn't know the Lord. I don't know what all happened, but if my memory serves me right, this was a couple hundred years ago. No, it's not that long ago, but 40 years ago. He demanded my parents pay a fine that he could give that fine to his spirits. I don't know how that worked out. I honestly don't remember. My parents now in their 80s. They don't remember what happened. I'd love to know, but whatever happened, the guy was appeased enough because we had offended him and his spirits by eating the first fruits, and my parents were asked to pay a fine. I don't know how it all went, what was done, but he was, in the end, okay with us, though I do remember he was a pretty angry man <laughs> because we'd put his life and his family in jeopardy by offending his spirit world by eating the first fruits in his mind. Now, eating of the first fruits is a copy from the Bible. Satan is full of that. Don't be deceived by his mimicry. He's close, but he's not on. He's wrong. This is what is right. And God's word is so clear on his standard. And we start trying to alleviate or add or change or twist, which I believe in now, this movement of teaching that we have to do these feasts. And if you're really going to be a believer, that what honors God most is you do these feasts. There's nothing wrong with doing these feasts if you want to do these feasts and just remind it and enjoy that experience. But it's not something you're called to do as a New Testament believer because it has all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So anyways, I have always found it interesting, God versus Satan. You know, in animism, we're, we're going to start looking at God's emphasis on thanksgiving. Do you know in animism, the enemy hates a grateful heart? The tribe I grew up in had no word for thank you. Why would they? Satan doesn't want to teach people to be thankful. It's the opposite of what he stands for. So the Laoje picked up an Indonesian word. They combined it with an Indonesian word and one of their tribal words. And the way you say um, thank you in Laoje, and all of you can say this really simple, is trima papaila, da? <laughs> trima papaila, da? Which, easy, right? It simply means receiving it super well, friend. Da, at the end is friend. Trima, it's receiving, papaila, da? Thank you, friend. But that's a term we had to teach them and they use now all the time. I love going back to Laoji here, all the time. But that is God's heart, not the enemy's heart. The tribe that we served in, I can't even, I, the way they said thank you was Pame. But I can't even say that, tell you what it means literally in, in mixed company. We would all blush. Satan makes a mockery of gratitude. He hates gratitude. He hates thanksgiving. And every time you stop and say thank you, you're taking on God's way, and it's an affront to the enemy. Do you realize that? Many of the tribes we serve in around the world have no concept of thank you, and we have to teach them that as we're going through Scripture. It's quite amazing. Last week, Luke talked about Passover puts God on display for what he has done in rescuing us. When we stop and say, thank you, Lord, it puts on display that he has provided for us. There's an incredible word, Hebrew name in the scripture called Jehovah Jireh. That's Hebrew for God will provide. 
And that is a term that's used fairly often of our God, Jehovah Jireh. He will provide. He's a faithful God. We stop, just like the Jews were told to do at a feast, a whole feast, just to say thank you. Do you think the heart of God is pleased when we say thank you? I had a brief experience, oh, just a week or two ago. I'm going to read it to you. I have a son who's in missionary training. All of our kids are in training. One, I serve God overseas. That's great. But financially, things are often tight at that stage. So I have one son, him and his wife just got married last year. They entered the training about a week later. So financially, it's been fairly tight. So every now and then, I'd send them money, just a bank transfer, 200 bucks, 250. And my son, Tyler, I want to tell you about Tyler. <laughs> uh, love Tyler. Him and I are identical. If all of our kids, I'm, of course, that scares me because I see things and I'm like, oh, where'd you get that? My wife looks at me. <laughs> People, even he was just here this summer, and the people that saw him said, he is a spitting image of you. And I said, yeah, but our personalities are so different. I wish. No, he's a spitting image of me in many ways. And I found every time I would send him money, I wouldn't hear back. I love my son. It's not like I got bitter about him, and I'd still send him money. But I just, after about a week, I'd write, hey, did you get that money? And I know he got it, because I got the confirmation on my phone. But did you get it? Hoping he would at least say, yeah, oh, yeah, Dad, Thanks. That has been going on for about a year. And then just August 15th, I sent him some money. And um, within 10 minutes, I got this response from him, which I'll be tell you, it just blessed my heart. Thrilled me. I'm his dad. Thanks, dad, for the money. Huge help. We really appreciate it. Now, that's about as many words as Tyler's ever put together in a text for me. That was an essay. That's a thesis. I mean, I could read, I could do a three-point sermon on this. Thanks, Dad, for the money, huge help. We really appreciate it. End of thing. I wrote him back and said, love you guys. He wrote back, love you guys as well. That's what he wrote back. That's like a conversation between me and my dad, Almighty God, my father. If we just stop and say, God, thank you, huge help, appreciate it. You know why that thrills his heart? And I'm going to show you why. We're, because of time, we're not going to go through any Old Testament passages. We're just going to focus on seven very brief passages in the New Testament on God's heart as you look at thankfulness. And then we're going we're to look at three verses in God's heart. Then we're going to look at three verses in what we're called to do. And then we're going to look at a final verse that will just blow your mind. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. You can turn there if you want. But Luke chapter 17 is an incredible story of 10 lepers. Jesus is walking between Galilee and Samaria, and as he's walking down the road, he runs into 10 lepers. Now, many times Jesus healed people. There was a bit of interaction to do. Sometimes to heal a blind man, he'd make mud put in their eye and different things. He had many ways of healing, but this day seems like of all the days he healed, almost the most just casual. 10 men that are doomed for life to be in isolation. They can't come near people. They're shamed. Their body parts literally are falling off. Leprosy is a horrible thing. I've seen, I grew up with, I didn't have it, but I grew up with people that have leprosy. It's a horrible thing to watch. Literally fingers falling off and ears and noses all just rotting away. These people were doomed to a miserable death. Ten of them. They're walking along and all of a sudden Jesus sees them. You know what Jesus says? Go to the priest and let him see that you're healed. That's it. We don't know, did they get healed right then? Did they get healed on the way? When they got, we don't, just go see the priest and show them. So whatever happened, very little details, they get to the priest, and I guess they were declared healed. 
because all of a sudden, one of them comes back. And let's just look at that one. One, one leper of the ten, and you're going to see God's heart in Luke chapter 22. Which is the New Testament or Old Testament? Luke 17. I did these little cheat sheets because it's hard when you're in front of people to do it fast, but I can't even reach my cheat sheet. Okay, Luke 17. I'm going to just read you what Jesus says to this leper. He comes back. Verse 11. Oh, no wonder, wrong chapter. See, never do this in front of people. So he comes back. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his feet at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Do you think that meant something to God? Now, he was a Samaritan. Of all the people, he's one you don't expect to do this. He sh- the rest should have known better. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? What happened about the other nine? Were there, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this one foreigner? He's, Jesus is like, what happened? The rest know better. They know my heart. They've seen me. They've heard all about me. You know the feast of first fruits. Where are they? Where's the other nine? And he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. That's it. We don't know. We actually don't even know if the other nine got sick again. Nothing is said. But what we do see clearly is God's thrilled heart at one man that came back and said, thank you. In fact, all he said was, Thanks. A simple statement of thanks. And he fell on his face and praised God. God says, wow, that I value. Luke chapter 22, you don't need to turn there because you know this passage. And Jeff is going to be talking about this concept of communion. Luke, the writer of the book of Luke was, believe it or not, Luke. Dr. Luke. He was a doctor. And he was very big on details. And I love reading Luke's accounts of things because you get the things that nobody else mentions. Luke is the only one that tells us when it came time for communion, when Jesus first took the, the wine, actually changes the order in different ones, but as he took the wine, what did he do with it? He first gave thanks to his father. And then he takes the bread. What does he do with that? He gives thanks to the father. When Jesus fed the 5,000, what did he do with the food first? He gives thanks to the Father. Jesus always gives thanks over and over for every event, everything, every food. Every, he just gave thanks to the Father. That's God's passion for gratitude and a thankful heart. I'm going to look at one more verse. Romans chapter, uh, 20, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. This is a verse that actually is a very challenging verse. Romans Romans chapter 1 is a, almost one of the theme concepts, certainly the strength and the foundation of Romans. But it's in here we begin to see the waywardness of the man's heart drifting from God. And in verse 21 it says this in Romans 1, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Listen, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is a description of, the, of man's drifting away and farther. We look in our own society how far we've gone from God, but how much effort goes into not even acknowledging that he exists. If you can say there is no God, you have freedom to do what you want. That started with their failure to even give thanks. 
I'm just going to mention these next three passages here. <coughs> Philippians chapter, sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything. Is that a complete statement or not as a believer? Philippians chapter 1, every time I think of you, I give thanks. Paul says that 10 times in his epistles. Every time I think of you, I give thanks. He must have been saying thanks a lot or he never thought about people. But he's hearing reports every time he thought about them, every time he heard it, he gave thanks. Colossians chapter 3, everything you do should include thanks. I'm going to look at this last. Let's turn there. Revelations, and I know our time is just about to kick me off the stage. Revelation chapter 7. This is a chap this passage I love to speak on, and it starts off with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, Laoje, around the throne. You're going to meet them there. But then it goes down to verse 11, and this is, a, this is a scene unfolding in heaven in the future. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, and listen to what they say. Amen. Starts with that. Amen. Blessing and glory and honor and thanksgiving and honor and, sorry, Honor and praise and might be to our God forever and ever. There are seven descriptions here. Seven. Seven descriptions of God. Seven. And guess what the middle one is? Thanksgiving. Would you, if I asked any of you, could you put down the first, the first seven things that come to your mind when you think about the power and the majesty and describe God? Would you put Thanksgiving as the center one? I don't think I would. I would until I read this, I oh my God puts, as he describes himself, and the angels are worshiping him. All the angels and the elders are falling, and they're describing this a magnificent, powerful, almighty God. Think of blessings and the stories in the Bible about blessing. Think about the, whole, the beatitudes, and there's so much about blessing. Yeah, he's honored. He's so worthy of blessing. How about Glory. You remember the Hebrew Shekinah glory. In the, the temple, when it, was, when it was dedicated, the Shekinah glory, as, as God is showing his glory to the nation of Israel by Mount Sinai, the mountain about blows up. Moses says, I want to see you. And God says, oh, because of my glory, you can't look on me. I'd have to cover your face and only my back can go by you because the power of God's glory. Wisdom? Think about Ecclesiastes in the book of Proverbs and, and we can trust him because he always knows best. The wisdom of God is huge. That's three. And then all of a sudden they have this middle one, Thanksgiving. Would you have put it there? I don't think, honestly, I would have thought of it. And then he gives three more. He says, honor. And to an Eastern writer and the culture this was written, honor is the highest value above all things. I grew up in Indonesia and honor stands above everything else. If you ever, a person can be wrong, evil, and wicked. They could be in the middle of stealing something from your front porch, but if you do anything that wrecks their honor in front of others, you are the one that pays the fine. They were the one stealing from you, but if you say anything that ruins their honor, you are at fault no matter what. Honor is put so high in an Eastern culture. God's honor is astronomical but it's right there with his worthiness of thanksgiving and might power and might <laughs> what is the old testament for it shows us his power and his might but all of these things show us and the feast show us that we need to stop and say thank you why do we pray and i've been asked this many times do we have to pray before we eat absolutely not 
If you don't pray before you eat, you forget for whatever reason, you're falling out of an airplane, you have a nibble, you forgot to pray, whatever. God's not out to get you. But we pray, and I think it's a great habit we have as God's people. We pray three times a day for sure, and we say thank you. Depends on, maybe you just eat twice a day. You've given up breakfast because you're getting too fat. Okay, so twice a day. But when you eat, stop and say thank you. And it's also because we see that's what Christ always did. Did Christ make a rule you have to pray before you eat, otherwise you're in trouble? No. But it's like our celebration stopping to say thank you. But Paul says way more than just before you eat, all day in every situation say thank you, thank you, thank you. And I put, wrote a statement there that thanksgiving is worship. It's a simple worship, it's easiest of all, it's just thank you Lord, that's worship. Because you're putting worth on him. What is he worth? You're, 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 you're holding him up like that grain of, that Shiva grain, that handful of grain saying, what a God, look how he's provided, thank you. We live in a day and age when we're drifting in so many ways. We live in a day and age when mental illness is huge. People struggling is huge. My wife and I have just talked to a couple of people this week and they're struggling and I actually have to talk to Pastor Jeff because a couple of them said to us, we need a Christian counselor. I'm like, your problems aren't that big. I don't know if you even need a counselor. I think you need to stop and acknowledge God in all of this. And the best way and the easiest way to acknowledge him is to say, thank you, God. The complaint box should be tiny. The thank you box should be huge in your life. And how is it? How, how big is your thank you box? Do you keep it full? If you don't, stop. Say, Lord, help me to fill my thank you box. And actually, that little complaint box may become so unused and covered in dust that I could leave it somewhere else. When I move, I won't take it with me because I don't need it anymore. Jesus is the fulfillment of these feasts. Jesus is the fulfillment and the reason for all of our gratitude. We serve a wonderful Savior. And if for nothing else, you can stop and say thank you for your salvation. But there's a whole lot more we can all be thankful for. I look around and none of us are starving to death. All of us look well clothed. We all found a way to get here. We all, none of us are on a ventilator. We have a lot to be thankful for. Let's make that the habit of our heart, that that's what comes out first. Thank you, Lord. And that pleases him. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious Savior, we thank you for the privilege of being yours. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us rest. And thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us. And thank you, Lord, that we can stop. We have the energy and the language and the brain power and the energy to stop and say thank you. Praise your holy, holy name. In your name we pray. Amen.